How's it, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Rugby Bits Pod, brought to you by Bits.co.za. And I'm excited to have Tala and Jared. And um, yeah, I think we said we want to bring to you guys a special pod this week where we break down the autumn series. And um, there's going to be a lot of talking points and a lot of rugby. I mean, a lot of rugby to come this couple of weeks. I mean, Saturday is jam packed. So if you if you ever misses, I hope that she hasn't planned any dinners or brides that you've got to go to. There's no baby showers or uh, weddings that um, you need to attend for the next couple of weekends. Otherwise, yeah, it's, I don't know how you can get out of it. Lads, have you guys got any weddings or anything coming up in the next couple of weeks? No, I've made sure the schedule is clear. Hey, um, this is like a mini World Cup for us. November's always, always entertaining like this. Yeah, unfortunately, I have a bachelor's party next week, Saturday. Um, so I'll have to record some of the games, but I'm definitely leaving it um, before the France game, um, the France Springboks game. I think the, the France Springboks game is actually a blessing in disguise. I've got a wedding next weekend as well. And luckily, I know that luckily those these friends are not big um big jawless so I, I think by 10 o'clock i should be <laughs> be comfortably sitting and watching the springboks versus france i got a friend of mine on saturday who has to attend a birthday of his, one of his girlfriend's best friends and it starts at five and unfortunately for him there's no rugby that's going to be watched so my condolences goes out to him and hopefully the australian rugby will organize another test on a thursday just for him but um i think um we've got um i guess cracking right away so what we're going to do is with this pod we're going to ask a few questions as we try and break down as we try and break down this autumn series and we're looking forward to some 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 great rugby and i think the first thing i want to ask chaps i'm gonna start with you tyler is the autumn international series the best test window if you don't agree what which sort of test rugby window is your favorite is it the june the june july or is it um the period or is it the rugby championship period or is it which one is your sort of favorite window? Definitely this one. I think it's got, um, yeah, it's got everything that you want from it. Like, yeah, you've got the North versus South. The time zones are great. It's not like you're packing in all the games in the morning and then one in the afternoon, like you do in July. Um, yeah, there's just something, man, about, and yeah, it's probably not great to say this from a Southern Hemisphere perspective, but there's just something about playing and. Uh, Millennium Stadium or Twickenham or Murrayfield or whatever. So like it's those those are the games that just hit differently and yeah the anthems and all that sort of stuff. Like yeah, I, I, it's kind of like with for me for cricket. Um, I just love watching um games in England. It just seems like almost more real than other games. Yeah, I I, I agree with Tala. Hey, um, November is always a great time for Test rugby. Um, the one complaint I will have is that it's not uh, too well spread out over the weekend. Like we could have a game on a Friday. Like I know we got Ireland A versus the All Blacks 15, but we could have a test match on a Friday evening. And there's like, um, there's two test matches on Sunday and at the same, and they at the same time, like, I don't know how they let that happen. Like if we can just get a little bit more spacing, get some games on a Sunday, France, if you don't, if you have to play at 10 o'clock at night, like that, we, we can, we can understand that, but it's also, that's a late one, man. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think the, the Friday, the, I mean, the, the 10 o'clock game is such a late one. And I think Friday, there's definitely a room for, for Friday rugby. 
Um, for me, I think it's definitely the, this is my favorite period as well. And I think, I don't know if it's the, the anthems or it just, it just kind of feels more, there's, there's a bit more vibe to it. Um, but also uh, the, the funny thing about this window is what is it that question that were asked last year when this Northern hemisphere sort of won more games in the Southern hemisphere is does this change the powers of world rugby of there is where the, is there a shift if the Northern Ireland wins more games or will the power still remain in the South? Hello? Oh, we have this debate every single season. Look, I think rugby is in a great place right now. Like it's so even. Um, you know, there is um, just yeah, there 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 is that unpredictability. That I mean, we'll talk about the games later. But you're genuinely thinking mm, maybe Wales could spring an upset on New Zealand, or mm, you know, Fiji doesn't have a bad chance against South Africa. I mean, against Scotland. So. That's great. I think in terms of the power balance, I mean, the two of the top three teams, I mean, because they're so close in the, um, in, in with regards to ranking points, South Africa, France, and Ireland, they're, yeah, two of them are Northern Hemisphere teams. And then if you expand it to the top five, three of them are, are Northern Hemisphere teams. So it's, I think the North has a slight edge. Um, yeah, unless the South, unless, unless the box and Australia can beat, either or both of um, Ireland and France and New Zealand can win against England. I think the North can have the bragging rights for now for superiority in, in, in world rugby. Uh, <laughs> our Northern viewers are definitely happy to hear that because I, I think I agree with you. I think the power at the moment does lie slightly in the North. I think if you, if you look at the results of of the Southern Southern Hemisphere teams in the last four years compared to the North and North does sort of have that dominance and they did come and win two series in the Southern Hemisphere, which is something they've not done. But I think it's time for us to obviously get to the nitty gritty. And I think obviously there's massive games. I mean, each team sort of, they're all in different places this weekend. I mean, Ireland, Springboks, I think Ireland, they're probably going to as favorites this weekend. But looking at that game, Jared, who would you have as favorites? Do you think Ireland, obviously being at home, are slightly favored, have been doing really well this this year, or the Springboks, you know, world champions? Uh, maybe like who do you think are the the favorites going to into Saturday's game? Yeah, it's been quite interesting because this whole week everyone's been chucking the number one tag around. Like South Africa threw it at Ireland. Um, Jacques Nienaba saying, no, Ireland have the best uh, attack in the Northern Hemisphere and they've got the best defense and they're the number one team in the world for a reason. Then Sexton comes out and says, oh no, um, we're playing the best team in the world this weekend. They're not world champions for nothing. So I don't think either team wants to hold that uh, favorites tag this weekend. But uh, yeah, when you go to the number one ranked world uh, team in the world and you're playing them at home, I think they are favorites automatically. Like I'm not saying I think the Bucs will lose. I just think that Ireland should be favorites. And yeah, they sh I think they should have came out this weekend and held that tag. Um, and like really pushed it home that they're the number one ranked team in the world. They've just beaten the All Blacks twice in um, their own backyard. So come at us kind of thing. So I don't know. That's that's the way I see it. Um, I'm hoping for a book win, but uh, yeah, I think Ireland are favorites. Yeah, I think, and we're going to talk about this now. I think a lot of it is because a lot of the key players from Ireland just haven't played much rugby the last few weeks. So 
Furlong hasn't played much. Omani has been injured. Fonda Flair has been injured. They don't have Gibson Park um, uh, starting this weekend. Uh, they've lost, obviously, um, James Lowe. Uh, Hugo Keenan also hasn't played this season. So I think that's why Ireland, I think from their fans and from their, like the team, the expectations are a, bit, a little bit tempered. And of course, they know that South Africa, I think, is a bad matchup for them in some aspects because... You know, South Africa is that stereotypical big, burly team that Leinster struggles with. So I'm sure there's, yeah, hopefully, yeah, for, for the purposes of the game, I hope there is a quiet confidence that they have, as I'm sure the box will have as well, so that both teams can go full out on Saturday. Do you think, um, Tala, on that, I mean, you, you speak about obviously the Irish players have not played much, there's a lot of injuries, and um, for example, like this weekend, they're playing Conor Murray, Edo Gibson Park, Rob Bellacoon comes in, and Juma Clocks is on the bench, and it's it, the, the, there's a lot of changes there that they, no, they don't normally have. Do you think from from Andy Farrell we might see a sort of a plan B for these for, for this game where a lot more kicking, not as multi-phase as they've used like against the All Blacks, a sort of dominated position? Do you think we'll sort of see a change in game plan from Andy Farrell where he wants to work on sort of a, a better kicking game and? put pressure on the wing, especially with Balakun playing, especially against Mapimpi and Curly Orange and Colby at the back. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Cooks. Um, I think that's a possibility, especially if the weather conditions are predicting rain. So I think they are going to maybe try um, a more kicking approach. Obviously, we all know how good Connor Murray is. You just have to ask Julian Severe about that and how good his kicking game has been. And yeah, even though he hasn't been at his best the last few years. Um, I, but I don't think it'll be a, a big um, change from the approach that they usually have. I mean, I think uh, I was listening to Provincial State of Mind and they were mentioning about like the fact that obviously these two teams will see each other in pretty much 10 months um, in, in the Rugby World Cup in the pool stages. So are they going to hide certain things from each other? So maybe, yeah, I, I, it might be a strategy that Ireland then just goes, you know what, let's not do our multi-phase um, play and just play it very tight like the Lions did um, in that SAA game um, last year. But I, I doubt that. I think um, Andy Farrell wants to continue just to build on what happened in the Six Nations, what happened in New Zealand, and build on that attacking game plan, build on that defense. Like Ireland isn't really at a place where they can do they're still I think in their like building phase of like this is how game plan works getting people in to know what the structures are like the Springboks do like anyone from a Springboks that's new kind of knows what their role is and what's expected of them it's not like a oh what the hell do we do with you so Ireland I think still has that so it's a good opportunity for someone like Balakun for example to show that he can do it in a big test and he can play that you know James Lowe type of role but yeah I, I, can, I would expect a little bit more kicking and contestable kicking than they usually do because I mean they against France I was watching or I was looking back at some of the highlights against France. They did do a bit more kicking than they usually do, like they did, for example, against New Zealand to try and target um, Melvin Jaminet. So perhaps they'll do the same now against the South African back three. Yeah, I, I seem to agree with you, Tala, and I think the conditions make it uh, worthwhile for them to kick a bit more against us. Um, but I think we sort of reading into the Conor Murray starting um we're reading into that a bit too much. Uh, it's his 100th test match um, for Ireland. So I think he's been given a start because it's his 100th. And yeah, you can get a bit sentimental for 
players, especially when they are still high quality, and I think Murray still is high quality, and he won't be coming out there just to be, just to kick the leather off the ball. Um, I do expect Ireland to get somewhere close to our 22 in the opening minutes of the game and then hang a hard kick on Ches and Colby, much like the Lions did in the first test. Um, so, yeah, maybe they'll do that to Orenser. Maybe they'll just try to target uh, Colby straight up, but uh, they'll definitely be doing that. And especially if you have a tall guy like Robert Balakun chasing it, it's a bit of a mismatch. But uh, we know Cheson's up for the fight with that kind of thing. And then Jared, obviously, you mentioned Cheslin at fifteen and, and Kurt Lawrence at fourteen. Do you do you see a, a slight shift in the way the Springboks will play on the weekend? I mean, obviously, um, we only seen Cheslin playing fullback at um, in, at, at at domestic level. So now this is going to be the next test. I mean, there's some of the fans, the streets have always wanted. Um, so the, all the hoopers are all the hoopers are everyone, the streets are happy. I've never seen Twitter so content with the Springboks side in a very very long time, but. Do you think, Jared, I mean, with Colby, there'll be a shift in the way the box play with more ball in hand? Because I know from Ireland, for example, the big, yes, it's one thing kicking a lot to Orange and Colby, but if you get your kicks wrong, that's a lot. There's probably the two people in the world rugby I do not want running back at me in space. Yeah, I think if Ireland kick, they're going to be wanting to kick as accurately as possible and get as much hang time on it. So, yeah, that does play into Murray's starting, but I don't think that was the initial thought. But, yeah, I think there is a bit of a shift from the box. Um, I said it on the RTE podcast that I appeared on this week, just a shameless little plug there, that uh, I think this is the most Nienaba like um, Springbok team since he took over from Rassi. So, yeah, I think he wants to expand our attacking game. And I've said for how long that uh, I've seen hints of it. And possibly with Willemse and Colby um, starting at 10 and 15, that's going to be accelerated. So I'm excited to see this. Um, I think any kind of space the box get, uh, Colby is going to punish the, uh, punish the Irish for it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. The streets are excited. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for Saturday now. Jared, just to throw it back at you, what um what do you think about Kobe and Willemse and Hendricks and their ability to sort of do that marshing and running of the game that obviously we've seen Faf and Pollard and and Vili do for so many years? I mean, there's many similarities between Willemse and Andre Pollard in that probably Faf is not maybe their best best positions, and I think Willemse has played his best right or has I think is only the only time he's played fly half he's had Vili Larue at fullback. Um, for the spring box. So he doesn't have Vili LaRue as that playmaker and decision maker. Do you think Colby is able to step into that role um, in the in, in a similar way? I, I'm not too sure if Colby can. Um, I don't know how big his voice is on the pitch. And he obviously, he plays a lot of wings. So it's not a position where you would get that kind of space or you'd be in the right kind of areas to be dictating play. But he did it at Toulouse quite well. So... I, I think he can, but uh, I, I think the box are entrusting Hendrixa and Willemse to really run the show. And then you still have the insurance policy of Billy LaRue on the on the bench if things do start going wrong and for the clack. So I think um, it's sort of given them the opportunity in this big game. And if they swim, they're going to swim all the way through the 80 minutes. If they start sinking, they're going to bring out those those plugs and plug it with Fuff and Vili. 
so yeah, I, th- I think they could do it. Um, and yeah, they, they're all relatively like, they're not really inexperienced, but they're still like in the younger part of their test careers. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it. Like you talk about a guy managing play and you look at somebody like uh, Paolo Garbisi and he was just given the keys to drive Italy's attack from day one. And maybe this is what Willems uh, is what in his 30th caps now, 30 caps. So he's now getting the chance to drive after 30 caps. So I don't think it's a bad time for him to to try to take over the, the game management and driving the attack, driving the defense. Tala, you mentioned, talking about Colby and the Willemse, um access, Tala, you mentioned on Twitter that if Colby does have a good tour at 15, it might mean the end of sort of Villarreal because Polo comes back and sort of, Willems will fill in that 15 and sort of play maker role and a utility back role. Can you elaborate more on that, Tyler, in terms of like where, if, if say, Kobe does end up as a 15, as, as an option at 15, do you, what do you mean when you say this might, could be the end of our playmaker, or much Ivan? Yeah, look, I, I'm not saying that I want Vili out. I'm not saying that Vili will definitely not be chosen. And I mean, the trend of the Springbok coaches is that they're loyal to you, but they're also, I think, loyal to you to a certain point. So if a player does use the opportunity that they're given, they can put themselves like fully back or they can like win a jersey off you um, because you are doing the job while they, they're gone. So obviously last season, just to give some context, last season, Vili had you know a bad rugby championship and then um, he was going to be on the bench for the first test against Wales. And then, or he was on the bench for the first test against Wales. Damien started at 15, Damien got concussed and Vili had the, the 15 jersey for the rest of the tour. So I think there's been, I think, an intention to play Vili LaRue as a number as player 23 or not necessarily as the starting 15 in each and every test. So that's step one. So I think if Pollard comes back, he's number 10, Damien Willemsa plays number 15. You still, because of that, even though Willemsa is still your second choice fly half, you still need another fly half to step in to play in the World Cup setting to play against Tonga and Romania. So you'll have to pick probably one of and I think, in my opinion, Libok or Huerson to 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 play that spot. Unless you want to play Francois Stein, but then yeah, you might you might get beaten by Romania. I'm joking, but um, I think there's three fly off options already. I think most probably four centers are taken to the World Cup. So that's your Damien's, your Lukanyam Krill, and and Esteza. You've got the three scrum halves. The back three options are Colby, um, Mapimpi, and Kurtley Ardenser. And then you get your utilities, your front stains, your unquestions, et cetera, et cetera. So now, you know, places do become um, smaller and smaller. So it depends. You, I think there is a way you can jig things so that um, Valilaru is still on the squad. But if he's effectively not a second choice, but maybe a third choice, if Colby plays well to, um, on Saturday and well for the rest of the tour at 15, as a third choice 15, that doesn't really cover any other position. I know he can play wing. I know he can play fly off at a push, but he's a less better utility than a Stain or a Huerson. So he's already behind there. He's behind as a fullback. You know, those sort of things will then add up for Villarreal to at least be like 
near the back of the queue of of backline players instead of um you know the almost one of the first few people selected uh, that he was like over a year ago so i think my um concern uh, if i can put it like that is if colby proves his his worth it seems like the springbok coaches have a bit of a <laughs> a thing for utility players so if colby proves his worth um if Huerson has a good tour for the SAA team and brings his good vibes and 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 Boltong and 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 and, and banter. And Vili doesn't get as many opportunities. I don't know. Like I think there is a world where maybe Larue then becomes a man on the outside instead of the man on the inside. And yeah, maybe it's that tackle or missed tackle that he had against Gonzalez. But yeah, I, I I'm I'm a bit concerned for for Vili. Um, the, about his place in the squad because the chairs are running out when if 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 someone like Colby becomes like a second choice um, option for fullback. But yeah, I I don't think that will happen because I think Colby will show that he's good, but not necessarily a fullback. But yeah, I mean he's obviously a very talented player, so I'm sure he can make a good success of it. And then if he does, interesting questions will be asked. So so Tala, um, at the moment. At the moment, Vili LaRue is grooming his replacement and his replacements at the World Cup squad. Is that what you're sort of getting at? Because, yeah, wh- whoever's the starting fullback, they obviously tapping into the knowledge that Vili has and who wouldn't. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I think in, in a sense that that's what's happening. I mean, look, I, I think Vili gets into a squad almost on vibes alone, <laughs> if I can put it like that. He seems to be a good squad guy. But yeah, I think there is a, a situation where, you know, Willemsa will Willemsa is almost like a starter no matter where mm-hmm. he plays. It just depends on if it's 10 or 15. Colby's obviously also a starter. And then if Willemsa and Colby have become our first two fullback options, and you can argue always that, you know what, one of our utilities, a Stain or a Horson or whoever, can also cover 15. Then yeah, like the the chairs are running out. Like I know we played musical chairs as children, and yeah, you you know that feeling when you're running around and you realizing that the chairs are running out in front of you. So yeah, I, I think there's a, a set of circumstances that are realistic where Vili is sort of phased out of the t- of the squad completely. But yeah, I I don't think that's going to happen. But I think it's a possibility now. It's so it's so tough being Vili Leroux because. One moment, uh, Twitter's fighting you and he's struggling for form. Now when he's playing while well, Tyler's trying to get rid of him. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a tough place to be, <laughs> to be, to be Paul Villy. I mean, uh, but um, it's the, the Villy thing. <laughs> can I just say to, okay, very quickly, can I just say to Villy LaRue, I know you've blocked me on Twitter many years ago. I am not saying you should be pushed out. <laughs> for once, I'm on your side, Villy. But I'm just, I, I, the numbers are not numbering here. Oh, I love that. But I think I must say with the box, uh, what I find interesting now, especially with this whole back three dynamic, where obviously we, we, we lost Colby and then Orange came in, we lost Orange, so Moody came in. It's, I don't know what Moody Mapimpi has, where the, he's been the only one, the sort of the one who's not found injury. He's been watching the fight happen at 11 and four, at 14 and 15 the whole year. But I think with Vili, I, I do love the, what, what I found interesting for the weekend was I love the fact they still keep him on the bench because I, I really like the the impact Vili has brought off the bench this year. I think it sort of rejuvenated him. He sort of come in as this Mr. Fix-It whenever he's come on. And in some games, he's had to come on early. And I think, like you said, Tyler, Damien Vili has, has played his best games at 10 with Vili at 15. And and Vili should have shown his value this year again and whether it's, whether it's starting off the bench. So I'm interested to see 
it looks like it's a role that he might keep going forward as I mean even there's no there's no out and out fullbacks for this for this weekend and yet Philly was still on the bench with them trying out Kobe. So it's gonna be interesting to see where he goes in the future. But before we move on to other teams, I'd like to ask you both of you guys this question, Jared, I'll ask you first. Which side needs to win the game this weekend more? Is it the box? Obviously they've not played Ireland since uh, 2017 and the, obviously want to build momentum as they are playing in the group or is it Ireland who feels like you know what they have been playing well and, and a win against a statement against Springboks sort of makes a statement for against the Springboks and also sort of wraps up a pretty good year for them so who do you feel needs to win this rugby game the most you know, um I, th- I think there's arguments you can make for both sides but I think uh, you know the books the books need a win it always feels like the books need a win but uh, I, I think we sort of need a win to to prove that we still like we've had such an up and down year of uh, uh, well uh, we've had a real up and down year and to beat Ireland in Dublin to set the tone for the rest of our November I think is pivotal. Like for Ireland, this this is their game this November. This is the their top game. And they can recover afterwards and say, okay, well, if we, we lost the tight one. But I think for the box, they need to stamp down a marker and this is the game to do it in. Um, so I think it's more key for the box to do it, especially with um, a youngster at nine, a youngster at 10, and Colby at fullback, uh, an experienced test fullback. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's for the box. They need a, a win more than Ireland do. And Tala, and um, for you, who do you, who do you think this is win more? Yeah, I think you can argue it both ways, like Jared said, and I agree with where he's coming from. Do I just get the sense that with all of these matchups that are happening in November and also going to the Six Nations, it, World Rugby just feels like anyone in the top nine countries, yeah, let's say top nine just to be on the rough scale, the person or the team that beats you last you will expect for them to be beaten by the other team. So if Ireland beats us in on Saturday, I would probably put more money on the Springboks winning in the World Cup and vice versa. Like, you know, the teams are very close to are very close in quality. The teams are, you know, learning about each other. The teams are probably hiding in one or two things now for for the Rugby World Cup. Same thing with France next week, where obviously the Springboks and France probably face each other, or if they face each other, it'll be in a knockout game. So you know, do you want to be the team that wins before that? That's ob- That obviously has its benefits. But being the team that loses before that also has its benefits in a sense as well. So I guess you can talk about all the psychology things. But yeah, I think for I think this is the match for Ireland because obviously they have a bit more baggage in, in terms of history and being the number one team and their World Cup history and all that sort of stuff. The Springboks are pretty much made men in terms of this era of Springboks. You know, it's World Cup winners. They did it in 2019. They went to the top of the summit. So I I, I genuinely don't think there's matches that the Springboks need to win um, as much in this tour. They need to have a decent tour, of course, but not they need to win four out of four to prove anything to anyone or anything to themselves. Ireland, if they lose this, that seed of doubt about playing big teams starts to germinate a little bit. And then, yeah, it, it might be a fact in the World Cup. But again, then again, luckily, it's only a, a pool match um, in, in September next year. And we know from the Springboks 2019 that you don't even need to win all of those. So yeah, I would say Ireland slightly. And also just given that the Springboks are a little bit 
you know, they don't have Polo, they don't have um, Lucania Arm, they don't even have Dwayne Formulum, you can argue that this is a, a match that Ireland could win and, and possibly should win. I agree. I think for me, Ireland needs to win this game more. I think they've got to answer the questions about the physicality. I think when, when it comes to the spring box, it's a question that every side has to answer. And I, I think obviously what, the, what Leinster, the Bulls do the Leinster, it's something that I still think that lives in their minds, the physicality that the Bulls brought sort of watching and, and knocking out Leinster at the RDS. I think it's something that Ireland know the box can bring in tenfold. I think it's something that if they lose this weekend and they get bullied, I think that will do, the, the, they'll give them scars going into the World Cup game next year. And I think with Ireland at home, you, you sort of have to be in the favours. I think that tag is they've got to be able to put away big sides. And I think putting away the spring, the spring box for them will be a massive notch on their belt, especially this year where they've, they've argued been the second best team in the world after France. So I definitely do think that Ireland is the pressure's on them to sort of win the game. I think obviously the Springboks, they want, they want to win every game. And I think this is also a massive game for them as well. Like it would be a massive way to end the year with beating Ireland. Uh, for, for me, it's the big one for me is, is the France game next week. But I, I do think that Ireland, with them not having many games coming up, off, many, many big games after this, this is the big game, I think the pressure is, is on Ireland. But in saying that, let's say Ireland do beat the Springboks Jared, where's uh, Johnny Sexton going on holiday after this? Because I don't see him playing the next two games. Will we see him in, in Bali? Will he will he probably head to Spain or maybe even visit Italy because he doesn't go there normally in the year? Anywhere outside of Dublin is uh, a low holiday for Sexton. So I, I, I don't think he will even leave uh, Dublin. I think he will just go put his feet up straight at home. You must think about it. Eh? He's been playing test rugby for a good 20 years. The man's balling. He's got a heated swimming pool. Inside, um, he's inside a little capsule where it's nice and warm and he gets uh, UV sunlight to, to warm him up and to suntan. I think he'll just stay in Dublin in his little mansion and he'll, and he'll be like, I, don't see, I agree with you, I don't think he'll play against Fiji and they'll probably throw Carberry in uh, uh, to play against Australia. 100%. I think um, my man is well sorted. This is his last rugby game until the, the European Cup later in December. But moving on, guys, I think I wanted to, I wanted to put this question for, for the next three teams all in one with the, with the All Blacks, France, and England. In saying that, um, if you look at those three sides' campaign, I think obviously England and the All Blacks are sort of almost a similar boat where they're still, England's still trying to figure out which youngsters are going to put in. Eddie Jones has made plenty of changes. The All Blacks are sort of trying to figure themselves out. France at the moment, they've got a lot of injuries. So there's a lot of guys who are going to be coming in and new faces that the Black Paul Williams is not playing. Out of, out of those three sides, Tyler, who do you see having the best, in, the best autumn series? And also, which of those sides are desperate for a good autumn series? I don't think, I mean, France probably aren't as desperate, but who do you see they are needing, also needing a very good autumn, autumn series coming up now? Wait, quick. So it's France and New Zealand and the France. other side, sorry? Uh, I mean, England, sorry. Oh, in England. I think oof, you can make arguments for all of them, of course. I, 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 I'm of the opinion that France is pretty much made men. I mean, you know, the South Africa game is going to be big. Uh, you know, if they could win it, that's obviously great. But if they lose, I don't think it's a big um, issue. Even if they lose this weekend against Australia, just as long as their fans don't get like two on their backs, I think it's, it's not much of an issue. I think France is... <sighs> 
if you remove the 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 Gaelic and the sort of like that Gaelic emotion that sometimes the French fans have, I think they're fine. I think this is a big turf for for England. I think, look, New Zealand is what New Zealand is. I don't think there's going to be much change now. I mean, we've seen their team for this weekend. Geordie's now playing 12. That seems to be his permanent position now. Um, Bowden's at 15. That's worked well in the past, of course. So, uh, you know, Ian Foster's going to Ian Foster. So I don't think there's going to be much growth in that team. England's still trying to find out a few things about the game plan, about, you know, the double pivot with Smith and Farrell. Manutu Lug is now added into this equation as well. And we have to use him. Yeah, they have to use him for the two, three matches that he's available until he gets an unfortunate injury. So this is a good tour, I think, for England, or this is a good um, series for England to just find out some things, get some consistency in their game, um, get a game plan. And because in Australia, they went back to the sort of the power game, like that game that we saw in 2019, where it's just big ball carriers all around, coming around the corner, sort of like balls like in a way. And then the two pivots um, doing their thing. So are they going to do that? Are they going to do the whole like mix masala backline and um, different people? Like, like you remember last year when Tulag was playing on the wing and they had um, Farron Smith sort of playing in different pivots and, Jack Knowles coming in and all that sort of stuff. So if they do play that dynamic, like almost formationless, no one three three one rugby, and they continue to build on that, that'll be interesting. Or they go back to the power game or if they combine the two. I'm very interested to see how England goes. So I think there's a big tour for them. Less so about the results. I think, you know, Eddie Jones is also, there's not, there's no real insecurity about him. And I think Eddie has enough of the senior players that, you know, the 2090 stalwarts, he can still reinstall if, if things go pear-shaped. But it'll be good just to see what game plan that they have and how they build from it in the next four weeks. Hello, just touching on England, as you, as you mentioned with the game plan, I think that's obviously the, the questions that's being asked in England. I mean, because you've got the access of Farrell and Smith and now, my, I mean, Manu Tulagi's back. So that's that that changes everything. I mean, you, with Eddie Jones, if Manu's fit, he's, he's starting. So... Do you think we'll, we'll potentially see a situation where we might see a, either Marcus Smith or Owen Farrell off the bench, and then sort of this is sort of the game plan you'll sort of lead with from here, and sort of put the the building blocks as to as to as to for his World Cup campaign next year. I look back twenty eighteen where he sort of yeah those two years sixteen seventeen the dominant broke things up in eighteen and sort of this is the time where he sort of put his piece together as to how they're going to look come the World Cup time. So do you think we might see a situation, especially against the All Blacks, where you, you might even go, listen, I'm going with Farrell at 10, Twilag at 12, and and, and um, Marcus Smith is my is my guy off the bench. Or do you think it'll be <laughs> mix and match Eddie all the way through, don't know what he's doing, and then come Six Nations where he sort of finds himself again and see what and see what side he's going to pick? Good question. I, I, I lean towards giving the Farrell and Smith combination more time and obviously adding Manu Tuolagi to that as well. I think he knows he knows what he has with Slade. Slade has, uh, Slade has played with Farrell a lot. Slade has actually, yeah, he played a bit with Smith um, last year and this year too. So it's not like that's an unfamiliar combination if he needs it. And obviously Farrell, Tuolagi and Slade are very familiar with each other. So he knows what he has with those um, combinations. I genuinely think this is the best combination for England. Because, um, yeah, I think there's something missing when they play um, the Farrell and or Smith at 10, Tulagi 12, Slade 13 combination. I think it just misses 
a little bit i'm not sure what it is but it just misses something whereas with the two pivots and two like at 13 or slade or mashant or whatever like and i know mashant's not um, favored by ad right now there's something a bit more dynamic with that so that's what i would do but yeah uh, i'll never try to predict an eddie jones team he always has some surprise i mean if I'm not mistaken, Jared, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He's going to start Alex Coles at, at blindside flank, and I've genuinely not seen him play before. Yeah, well, th- that's the that's what's uh, coming out. And yeah, Coles is a, a second rower that they're going to throw onto the side of the scrum, which I don't think is a bad thing to do against uh, Argentina, um, to be fair, because, I mean, Kramer is huge. Matera is huge. And... Uh, yeah, the, the the whoever's the the last guy that makes up that back row is also huge. I mean, it's Issa, Petty. There's some big boys in that Argentina pack, and I think you do need a big second row esque uh, blind side flanker. And with Laws out, you have to start looking about for for options. So I think Coles can do the job there. Um, but yeah, I I think Eddie's the one thing we can always bank with with Eddie is that he's going to pick Owen Farrell. Like through all the changes that Eddie's made throughout his um, tenure as England head coach, Owen Farrell has always been a consistent. Whether he's captain or not, it doesn't really matter. Farrell has been there. Whether he's playing ten, he's playing twelve, or whatever. So. Yeah, like I agree with you. I think uh, Eddie is doing quite a bit of searching. He wants to, he's he's doing similar to what Shark and Rassi are doing and he's trying to test certain players and see if they fit in the squad, if they fit in the system and if they're even good enough to play test rugby. So yeah, it, I think it's an interesting one for, for England. Um, they've got two tough fixtures in playing New Zealand and South Africa right at the end, although we will be without some of overseas players. but. Uh, I I think they have to. Uh, what I, th- I think uh, three wins would be a good November for them, and two wins would be a bad one. I don't know what you guys think. Can I just say very quickly? I think my small November hot take is, I think um, we're going to see an, an improvement um, from from Wales. I think Wales could be a team that just goes a little bit under the radar um I, i'm not feeling their chances as much as i did maybe a month ago without dan bigger on saturday against new zealand but i genuinely think there's something that um pivac will sort of will build on from the south african tour and just that ability of holding on and playing a trench battle game that they did um in in july and i i i think wales could be the team that's you know pushes through and 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 starts showing some quality, not necessarily in results, but I think um, you will see hopefully the game coming together and them sorting out their rucks and, you know, their, their attack coming together, Nick Tompkins taking another level. So I, I, I would keep a close, 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 close eye on, on Wales. I think the other teams, the narratives are relatively set in a way. I mean, there's things that they have to prove. There's still some consistency issues, but Wales could be the one that takes a, a big leap in the next few weeks. Yeah, it, it does help that they've got uh, Lee Halfpenny back, Gareth Anscombe's fits and firing again, Justin Tipperick's back. But I, I, I do agree with you, Tala. I think uh, this could be a, a very good November for Wales. And yeah, if there's a, I don't think there's ever been a better time for them to claim their first win over the All Blacks uh, until now. I don't think the All Blacks are ready for Tommy turnovers. 
we we, we had to face him the hard we had to face the wrath of Tommy Turnovers the hard way in 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 July. I don't think the All Blacks are ready for that. If I'm Wales, I definitely do agree with you. This may be the best time to beat them. Um, I do <laughs> England, England or oh, Eddie Jones is it's a mystery. I like I, I I do think they're gonna have a really good World Cup. I do think I do have them going to the final. Um, but I just it's like I don't know how they're gonna look when they get there if they make sense. Um, I think that we will see the the, the Farrell and Smith axes going again, and then I think he's gonna sort of try that out. And I think if it, if it doesn't work now in this period, I won't be surprised to see him sort of going away from that come Six Nations. Yes, Tana? Very quickly, did you see Eddie Jones said that he's only like 10 months into his, like he feels like he's only 10 months into his coaching regime. What a <laughs> vintage, yeah. like vet move by Eddie Jones to buy himself some time with the yeah, British press. It's, it's oh so my good. word, this guy is just uh, amazing with the press. I just know, come come all Black Week, he's definitely dropping in a bombshell about Ian Foster. He's going to do something that sort of keeps the pressure off himself every time. He's definitely leaving a bit of something there for the All Blacks as well. But that 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 tenth month, I'm on my tenth month in the regime is absolutely brilliant. He's like the chief banter of head coaches. I, I love it. He's always got he's always got something up his sleeve. Um, I, I do want to say, I think we speak a lot about England's backs and I think it's because they've got so many talented players um, out there, but I th- I, maybe it's just because of this weekend, they don't have laws, but I think that Blancard role is probably their biggest uh, problem at the moment. Like they had Curry and Underhill, they did great during the World Cup, but I think Billy carried a lot of the, lo- the load for, for those two. So... I think nowadays you need a very big blind side, uh, Peter Steff um, or Franco Morstead, it's almost like a, a third lock on the flank. And I think once Laws goes down, the quality or the talent that they have thereafter is is it's a big uh, it's a big discrepancy between the next the next best and him. Hundred percent, Jared. I think Courtney Laws probably goes down as arguably England's best player and the most important player. It's going to be interesting to see how they sort of replace that. But also, Jared, I want to ask you about France quickly. Um, is this the least amount of chaos we've had from a French camp leading up to the World Cup? You sort of, normally this, um, this time of the year, close to the World Cup with the France side, some coaches gotten fired. There's, there's been some scandal. Um, there's too many foreign, foreign players in the league. But I never thought I would get to a point where the France are here for the World Cup where it kind of feels like it tells that they're made men. I think for them, it's obviously Australia and to beat the Springboks, that's going to be two massive tests for them and testing their depth. But do you feel like for France at the moment, it's just about, you know, big game against the Springboks. But other than that, it's trying on a few things. This is not as big of a test window as for other sides. Probably for France, the least, important test when they have the least amount to lose this test window, if that makes sense. I think they have a lot to lose if they lose all their matches, but uh, we obviously don't see that happening. Um, I think they need to put in good performances against um, uh, South Africa. And yeah, I I don't think they can lose to Australia. Like if they lose to Australia, um, everything is going to shit and we might just have a revolution in France. But uh, (laughs) I, I, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's such a settled team. It's such a strong team. 
And yeah, you talk about there's always some drama with the French. I think the biggest drama at the moment is that Galtier's um, assistants, all of his French assistants, not uh, the former, uh, well, Sean Edwards, the rest of them are leaving after the World Cup. So that's pretty much uh, been sewn up that he will have to get a new coaching staff after the World Cup, which is hardly like a a dire situation. Um, he probably would have spoken to the guys and they all want to go out and take their own own way. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see France go out and play. Um, I'm excited to actually play against this new France. Um, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves looking towards next week, but it's like um, with Ireland, it feels like we haven't played um, France since the last time we played Ireland. And I think it was just uh, 2018 was the last time we played them. So I'm very excited about it. And the big thing with France, I wanted to ask, let's say, for example, every, the, France has arguably probably been the best side in the world since, if you look at post-2019 and up to now, they've been the most, by far the most consistent. Do you think to cement that claim, they have to beat the Wallabies is quite convincingly or, or, or putting a good performance against the Wallabies, but definitely beat the Springboks next week to sort of just stamp the claim as, as number one. Yeah, I think they have to beat the Borks if they want to really stamp their mark. Um, I think that the Bork game will be their biggest game this November or it is their biggest game this November. Um, I think they expect it to beat Australia. Um, and I, th- I think the Borks is like their biggest game um, of the year in the sense that the Springboks um, provide the best answers of how to beat France. Like France's um, quick rucks and strong scrummaging and good drives and that all um, like clash with the box. So if they're able to use their style to dismantle the Springboks and beat the Springboks, then they seriously, seriously are probably the best team in the world. So I think it's quite tight between South Africa. I think South Africa's actually fallen off a little bit and we can reclaim it this November. But between Ireland and France, yeah, whichever team can beat the box, if any either of them can beat the box, can really stake their claim they are the best team in the world at the moment. It kind of feels like in wrestling, like the, a, a triple threat match because you've got the box versus mm. Ireland and then you've got France versus the spring box where you sort of, because it does kind of feel like it's sort of those three sides up against for the best in the world. I mean, with sort of New Zealand and England, like a slight tier below, but um, it does kind of feel like that um, with those sides that um, it, it, it it's that, that, that could be the big difference. And I think, um, Whoever comes out there, whether it's France winning and Ireland coming through, I think will probably leave as the best in the world. I think obviously the box with them being world champions and also France and Ireland, they haven't played the box in a couple of years. So that's probably the big test for them. But you look at France also, what, what I find interesting with them is going to be a test of their depth. I think that's something they've been able to mm-hmm. do very well in the last four years. I mean, they sent basically a seaside to Australia a couple of years ago and they, and they lost that series by last minute penalty. This year in June, they said another, they rested to Mark, rested all the big boys now sort of, some of the, if you look now, there's no Williams this weekend, there's no, they've had a whole bunch of injuries, but like, you look at me like they're playing Woki and Flamente. What do you think of the combination? It sort of goes against what they've been doing the last couple of years. I mean, they've had massive size in Williams at Lock and now 
they've gone for a bit of a lighter option, very French as as per se. What do you make of the combination <laughs> at, at lock and what other changes and injuries do you think will be massive losses for them this weekend? Yeah, I, I think Willem say is a, uh, is a big loss um, all in all. And yeah, I, I think Locke is one of the most troubling positions for, for France. Um, they used Bernard Leroux early on um, after the World Cup, but then he sort of got replaced by Waki and he probably would have made the squad if he wasn't injured. But uh, yeah, unfortunately for him, it looks like uh, his career might be on the line. Um, he's picked up another concussion and he's having the same sort of... Um, injury layoff that uh it's a beth had a while back i don't know if you remember that cooks where he had about three months off with uh toulon and he couldn't play so he's in that situation at the moment and yeah i i, I didn't like the switch from uh putting Waki in as a second row but it's worked out well for them and uh i, I think it does work a little bit better when uh Willemse is there and when he's not there, it does look a little bit, uh, a little bit weaker. But uh, yeah, uh, what they have done is they've gone and named another two locks on the bench. So it's it's Galtier being very um, otherwise and not being like other French coaches and making he's made a bold call in his starting lineup. But he's backed it up with two proper locks, out and out locks that play lock every single week for their club teams. Yeah, to sort of. If there's a trouble, we we chuck him in. Much like the box have Faf and Vili on the bench this weekend, they've got uh, Taufifanua and Garassi. And Garassi, um, they looked at earlier on, and I don't think he's been in the French team for about two years now, and he's worked his way back in. So I, I, I think that's clever from them. Have the two locks there. Um, and against Australia, you probably do want a bigger pack. And then 100%, I think yeah, you definitely need that cover on the bench. I mean, some in the box would definitely do also against Australia. And I think with, with France, it's, mm. it's just for me, I'm, 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 not, I'm very excited for, you know, because you know on Twitter, Jared, I mean, you've been driving this France, this narrative for a while about how good they, how, about how good they are. And sort of, there's a lot of Africans on Twitter who have not actually seen how good the side is. And I'm really excited mm. for people to sort of, when they play the spring box, sort of open their eyes and be like, listen, go we may not want to catch the side in a World Cup quarterfinal, especially at home. They have, I, I do believe mm-hmm. that they're probably the, one of the few sides that can match us for a pack for sort of 8v8 and also on the bench as well. They've got, they've got guys can come on and sort of they can match the Springboks. It's going to be exciting to see how they go. I know they play the Wallabies this weekend, but look at the Wallabies. I mean, I think we mentioned almost the Wallabies and Scotland in that same boat. We also Scotland a bit older. They sort of need results where Australia now going this game. It's like a weird thing for me with Australia is, we mentioned this on Monday, if they beat France, I wouldn't be surprised. But if they lost by 30 points, I also wouldn't yeah. be surprised as well. Like, it's, 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 such, it's such a weird game to sort of call in it. And I, I must say, the thing with Australia, are you surprised they've not gone with Lolisio for this game? I, I do think they've, it kind of feels like Bernard Foley's the guy now until sort of when Quade Cooper gets back. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think they want. Uh, uh, I think Rennie's um, a bit apprehensive of throwing Lolasio the the starting jersey, and uh, I think he he's had been forced into so many changes in his backline that Flahoff is the one position um, that he can really have a experienced head there. 
So if you look at it this weekend, he's got Watts and Foley. Those are the only two experienced test players in the whole back line. Like the rest of them are all youngsters or inexperienced at test level. So I, I think that's where it sort of stems from. Um, and I, I would have also probably made these these decisions. Like he either he's, he's got to the point where he has to play Foley because he hasn't backed Lolisio enough to play him in a match like this. I don't know if you agree with that, Cooks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think you remember he had those two games last year against the All Blacks where he sort of pretty much threw like an interception <laughs> after every, every fourth mm. pass and, and then Quade Cooper sort of came in. I think since then he hasn't trusted him 100%. And I think with him bringing Foley in sort of out of the cold and, in, and, and still kept him even past the whole time-wasting thing, he sort of still stuck with, with Bernard Foley. I don't think that... Dave Rain would sort of go back, especially now we have Jock Campbell playing 15, who for me, I've always rated. And I think with him playing at 15, I think he may actually answer their 15 issues, but a height, but a size, creating a good boot, oh, love the way he runs the ball in hand. It's kind of hard to sort of have Jock Campbell there and now Noah Lolosio as well on top of it. So I do mm. feel bad for Lolosio. I, I do think it's, a, I think there's something there. I think he gets better and better each year. I think he, unfortunately, it feels like he never plays when Karevi's next to him, if that makes sense. He, he always has chaos mm. around him when he when when he sort of plays, and uh, and, and I think he might be the future for twenty twenty seven. I think Foley and maybe Quade Cooper next year when he gets back might be the guys. But I think what's interesting about this weekend is there's two massive battles that our viewers I want you to watch. If if you if you need a reason to stay up at ten o'clock and watch rugby, you get to watch the two best scrummers arguably in the world in Nick Watt and Antoine Dupont, and I think the winner of that battle may determine who wins the game on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think that might be it. Um, I, I think a lot depends on what's happening with Roman Intermac. Um, we know he's a quality player, but he hasn't played in six weeks. So this will be his first game back. Um, he didn't even get any but time. But the worst guy in the bench covering for him though as well. Yeah, yeah. So they got a, they got Jelly Bear on the bench for him. So I think that's, that is handy. Um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, Australia just need uh, somehow survive the French pack. Like the one thing about them is that they've got so many lineout options. There's very few teams um, outside of uh, the Springboks that are able to fill the pack with five lineout options in in there. And uh, France have that, and then they've gone in. Like I said, they've named two locks that are both jump like. Are both good jumpers, and they've got McAlew on the bench as well. He's also a decent line jumper, and I'm not. I can't say the same for Australia. Um, I I do think Australia might get better in the second half with uh, Skelton and Samu coming off the bench, and that could be a big thing. Um, but the one thing I do want to ask you, Cooks, what is with Dave Rennie's anti Reese Hodge agenda? I, I I just can't understand it. The man can fix so many of his backline issues. But he's either never in the team or he puts him on the bench or he gives him one start at fullback and then just drops him completely. Or he sends him to Australia A and then he then he comes all the way from a plane from Samoa and starts yeah. the next weekend. Like, <laughs> like, exactly. I but I like it's it's the weirdest it's the weirdest thing because like you said, like he's he's almost like they must have fixed it, but did but Dave Renner doesn't know what he wants to fix. If that makes sense. Someone's like, he doesn't know. Yeah. Isn't he made fullback? I thought, and he played fullback against us, and I think he's he, he's probably the best. He, he looked the best at fullback for the Wallabies since, I mean, since, I mean, since Tom Banks, I mean, 
has been getting injured and they've been on that Wallaby search, I mean, 15 search. But I just, I also don't understand. I think Reese Hodge is such a massive option. My thing is, if you if you don't know, have a 15, I've done 15 yet, I would always stick with Reese Hodge. He, he, yeah. he won't let you down. He's got a massive boot. I can't remember when Lotus had, you, you, you may not win you many test matches, but he, he, won't, he certainly won't lose you a test match. And his boot is an X factor. Right. So I, I don't understand why you, if you're still in search of like, of a fullback, you're trying to put Tia there and there's several options. Just give Rich Hodge the job and sort of use a smaller test like against like the Italy's where you can feel the job Campbell. But now nah, I'm saying throwing him, but like you got to play Rich Hodge. That's my, you got to start him. I mean, think back to 2020 when we had COVID and everything. And then one of the first games outside of COVID when we got the Tri Nations back, Reese Hodge played 10 for the, for the Wallabies. And he won them yeah. the uh, the first Bledisloe match, and it was a tight match. Like it was, and and he was the deciding factor in it. So I, I think we sort of go, gone off track about it, but I I just can't understand it. Like he can, there's very few players in Test rugby that can play ten to fifteen at Test level. Reese Hodge is one of those players that can seriously do it. And it's like. <laughs> Jared, you think Reese Hodge is playing for the wrong country? I think Jock Ninova would love to have a Reese Hodge at the moment. I think he would fit in like a glove here. Yeah. Yeah, he, oh, he would love him. Jacques would may, maybe check if he can play blindside or scrum off as well. <laughs> Imagine that. Actually, your bench should be sorted. All you need is your your, your three front row options and then you've got Smith and Reese Hodge and you're sorted. That, that's your, that's your yeah. bench done. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. That would be perfect. Jacques would play, um, he would get three uh, three sets of front rows. So you're starting front row, a front row on the bench and another front row on the bench plus Quokka Smith and Recharge. And then he can, oh, yeah, in the second half, we can have two bomb squads with of uh, every time there's a scrum, we just change <laughs> the front rows. <laughs> be a, the thing is, Rich Hodge is tall as well, so he'll be a great ladder option. He just, he just covers all the bases. So it's like, that's, that, exactly. that's what teams need to do. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I do, the Wallabies, it's they're an interesting side for me. Obviously, they've got a massive tour. I just want to ask you, Jared, how do you feel about the Wallabies? I mean, they're playing, they're essentially playing the Six Nations. I mean, they're playing all of all of the Northern Hemisphere side. Do you think once a year, every one Southern Hemisphere side should do that, almost try to get their own sort of Grand Slam? I mean, put a trophy off and have a trophy off to it as well. I know there used to be Grand Slam tours back in the day, but do you think that should come back? I I think it's uh, I think it's quite cool. Um, I I like the novelty of it, and um, if every Southern Hemisphere side could get it once a um in, uh, once a World Cup cycle, I think it would be perfect. So um, what the way I'd actually like them to do it is like we've just had Wales come here, um, to South Africa, and then we should play the other Six Nations teams when we go in uh, November. If that makes sense. We, oh, we should yes. try and make it that we play all the Six Nations team in one year. It doesn't necessarily have to be all at once. Because th- this is a, like, if Australia can, okay, they should uh, beat Italy, okay. If they can get one more victory after that, I think that's a good November for them because they have a hellish schedule. They already have a hellish um, injury list. So I, I think Dave Rennie will be happy if he comes away from that. and. Yeah, it's a lot of learning for the for the coaches, um, learning about their players uh, until they have to d- decide their World Cup squad. And this little window for Dave Rennie will give him 
so many answers, even if they go and lose every game from here. Hundred percent. I think for them, if I'm the if I'm Dave Reading, the big ones, I'm. Yes, I want to. Yes, I beat Scotland. I've got to beat Italy. I've got to beat Wales. Those three for me are the sort of the non-negotiables that you sort of mm. want. And then if I can just pick up one against France and maybe one against England, like that's that's that'll be a bonus. But if I can leave with yeah, Italy, one of England or France, yeah. But if I can leave with Scotland, Wales, and Italy, that would be a good tour. But before we wrap up, Jared, I mean, we're looking at this week. I mean, we've got this is. I can't remember a better rugby weekend than this one. I mean, we've got Italy, mm. Samoa. Scotland, Fiji, Wales, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, France versus Australia. And then on Sunday, it's England versus Argentina. Uh, out of those games... And Georgia there, versus Uruguay. Oh, and Georgia versus Uruguay. All the Georgian fans, I apologize. Out of those games <laughs> there, I mean, besides the Springbok game, obviously, which one are you looking forward to the most? Um, I'm actually looking forward to the England-Argentina game. Um, and the big reason is that... I think Argentina have been very much like the Wallabies and South Africa to an extent where they show so much promise in one game and then just dive off in the in the next fixture kind of thing. So I'd like to see Argentina have a good November and push uh, good teams. And I have a sneaky suspicion they could um, roll over England if they sharp and up it. And I, th- I think it is a possibility. But the other team that I really want people to sort of keep an eye on, and Fiji will get a lot of the spotlight because they normally the the favorite of the Pacific Island nations, but keep an eye on Samoa. Guys, this team, it's it's a very, very strong Samoan team. It's the strongest Samoan team in, in recent memory, and they're only getting better and better. I mean, this weekend they have, a powerful team and they don't even have Steven Luatua yet. So yeah, that's the other thing that I'll try to keep an eye on. Um, Fiji and Scotland are playing at the same time as Italy versus Samoa. So either get your double screens out or take your picks over there. <laughs> you, you definitely stole my answer about the Italy-Samoa game because I think this is, <laughs> before I let you give your hot take for, for, for the weekend and then coming up now, I think that Theo McFarlane is going to have his breakout party for international rugby mm. this coming autumn series. I think some people have seen him at Saracens and the small pool, but I think now the rugby world is going to get exposed to see how good the soccer is. He's an absolute talent. He's been arguably the best player in the premiership this year. He's, he's been just an absolute menace, and I'm so excited to see him in the, in the, in the mm. international forefront Oh man, I feel there's gonna be a lot of hurt Italian runners this weekend. <laughs> like a lot of hurt, like shoulders are gonna be hurt and Oaks running into him. I think it's gonna be incredible. I agree with you. So the Samoan side is stacked and it's gonna be great to see them go. Um I think for me, the Wales and New Zealand game is so interesting. Um that's the one that I'm looking forward to. Sort of I think if there's ever a time for Wales to beat the All Blacks, it's now. I think the mm. All Blacks are sort of at the moment outside of, it's weird to sort of see them being inconsistent of not knowing what to expect. Could it be the All mm. Blacks that rocked up at Ellis Park or could it be the All Blacks that came to Mbombela? And I think Wales has got a sort of a kicking game that can put them under pressure, especially with Bowden Barrett at 15. Uh, I do not trust that back three with, with Barrett and especially under the high ball. And, and even I, I know that there's no Dan Bigger, but I still think they'll still be able to put the All Blacks under pressure in the high ball. 
and another player, I mean, Tommy Turner was, I don't know who's leading, like who's leading the breakout player of the year, but he's got to be up there as well, especially after the June series that he had, yeah. the July series against like Springboks. Um, yeah, I think that game for me, I think the Spring, I mean, the Wallabies, I mean, the All Blacks as well, the Jordy Barrett, the Jordy Barrett at 12 axis. I would also, Jared, talking about that, the Jordy Barrett at 12, do you think, I, I believe that Dave Haivili is still a fullback? I would have gone personally with, I think the almost the switch they need to make was Jordy at 12, and then Haivili at 15. I think that sort of, that may solve some of their problems. And then I think Angelina Brown's got to come back to 13 and then Rico back on the wing. But I mean, that's, I thought Ian Foster doesn't really, and, and I mean, Barrett's out the team or what? Bodie. I think at the moment, I think with Bodie, if he's not playing 10, he's going to be 22. I think the Moanga Barrett conversation, it, it all depends on form for me. I think that's, I, 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 I think they're both on form. Back. So, yeah, I'll always lean towards Bodden Barrett, always, if push comes to yeah, shove yeah. over Moanga. But I do think if you're going to move, if you're going to move Barrett, I mean, Jody Barrett to 12, I think, and obviously Will Jordan's, I, I, I've always liked Dave Avila at 15. I think he's a great option at 15. I still like Jordan on the wing when he gets back. And um, I'd have, I have Caleb Clark out and then Riku Ioane comes in at 11. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the backline that the All Blacks sort of need to go with. Um, I don't have an issue with Bowden Barrett playing fullback. Um, I think Havili is a fullback um, who can play center. I think he's actually a nice option at 22. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. The minute Anton Letterbrown is properly fit, get Rico Iwani onto the wing. Get Yeah, I, I don't rate him as a center. I really don't. Um, I, I, I'm also very excited uh, about the Wales test. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, we, we said it's a big opportunity for them. Hey, and what's great about it is that they've welcomed Lee Halfpenny back. George North is back and Justin Tipperick is back and Ken Owens is back. So, um, Halfpenny has got a hundred test caps. Um, North has got a hundred test caps. Uh, Tipperick's got, I think it's 85 and then a few for the Lions. So he's about on 88. He's also like notching close to, to 90. And uh, Ken Owens is also in the same boat as Tipperick. So that's a hell of a big boost of experience to come back for this. And they've got Priestland, on, uh, Priestland that's on the bench. So losing bigger is a, is a big blow for them. But having an informed Anscombe and an informed Priestland backing them up, They've got a serious chance this weekend, I think. And just because we've said this, the All Blacks are probably going to win by 40 points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After all of this, I must say, yeah, Priestley yeah. has been some serious form as well. I mean, coming coming into this into this test window. I mean, he's sort of forced his way back into the squad. And yeah, I think you know, if Wales, if they, they've got to do it sometime, I think, I mean, Ian Foster, I mean, Jared, he's made enough bad history. I mean, I'm sure you can, you kept the Bledders look up. So I think you can add this Wales loss mm. to, all the other bad history that 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 he's done, but like, like you know, what I mean, the All Blacks are sort of sad for me. They're like, that, this is the weirdest thing with the All Blacks. They could lose to Wales and then and beat England the next week. They they, they could hundred percent go and mm. do that. And I think every t- I think I always believe the All Blacks if they want to win the, win the World Cup next year, they've got to give uh, Ian Foster a match to match contract because <laughs> they seem to play well when they're under pressure. <laughs> so every day Monday, it's like, listen, but. You win this game, you you coach the next week, and and, and just or, or just just or just bring Razor or Robertson on tour. Just instead of the World Cup, just waiting for his chance. 
That's what I'm doing from the open. Put him in the stands. Put him on the other side of the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) You can just stand there and look at him. (laughs) Even if they lose, like, Foster could know, like, farewell speech. It's Razor straight straight away, no questions asked. (laughs) Razor wrap up the day, and then sort of they go in the next week. Like, that's that's what it looks like. Like, the wildest thing in world rugby for me with the All Blacks is if they'd lost this Primoz Ellis book, Ian Foster would have been gone, right? He's gone. Like, he's writing on the wall. But they win that game. They go, you know what? Everything else, stuff that should show that's been for the last three years. We just beat the, whole, the spring box in Ellis Park. We back this guy again. I'm like, but, what? Like, you can't you see, take... it's, it's New Zealand rugby at the moment. Like, look how they dealt yeah. with the women's team. They're doing the same sort of thing, not to uh, that kind of extent. That was ridiculous. But they're too scared to sack somebody. So they're keeping them there until, like, they're 100% sure that they should sack them. But they, I mean, somebody went and offered Scott Robertson the job in the week of the second test against South Africa, <laughs> one of New Zealand rugby went and offered Scott Robertson the job. Like he was expecting the All Blacks to land back in New Zealand and he was going to be the head coach. Like he was going to wait there at the airport and say, okay, um, Richie, you go to the right, you still in the team. Rico, you go to the left, you're not in the team anymore kind of thing. That's how he was hoping to handle it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like if, if I come to you, Jed, like you, you coach the All Blacks when they get back almost come hello high water. What happens in South Africa is you live in, in what happens in Joburg. And then you sort of come back here. You've told the missus, listen, I'm going to Argentina in a bit. Don't expect me to, don't expect me to, I'm not coming to Mary's birthday dinner. I'm got the All Blacks to coach now. And then you get back and they're like, sorry, but um, I think we're going to go with Rays. I mean, with Foster until the end of the World Cup. And you're like, but what happened? Yeah, New Zealand rugby is, in, you're right. It's in this weird space. They're doing, it's almost like, I've always said, you know, Yes, I understand they used to go co- every four years ago, coach by coach, lose the World Cup. Then they won it. And they felt like, okay, cool. Now, because we won, we won it because we didn't fire Graham Henry after 07. Now they feel like, okay, now we're going to back every single coach. Until then, Hanson's gone. Now it's Foster too. We're going to give him eight years as well. And I'm like, guys, how long is this going to go on for? But it's so weird. Like, there's something not right there. Even like, and, and, and for them, I think they, it might get found out come World Cup time. They might even lose a quarterfinal again. I think that that's, that that's maybe what they need to, is to lose a World Cup quarterfinal and then sort of, you know what I mean, like in 07, lose a quarterfinal and sort of rejig things. Mm. But I'm worried they might lose Scott Robertson. If I, like I, I, I said to you, I still don't understand how international, like England, for example, is not giving him the job. Like, Eddie's gone. My man, you coaching us come hella high water after the World Cup. Someone's, is there no other I, country that would be like, like, you can't let the guy, just a coach like that just hover around. Yeah, I saw, I think it was a week or two ago, Robertson pretty much put out a, uh, he was in an interview and uh, he sort of said like, he, there's New Zealand rugby is running out of time to give him a, a new contract. So like he wasn't saying like they're running out of time for him to become the next All Black coach, but he was saying that if that makes sense. Like he's he's not willing to wait until until the World Cup to tie himself down to to something and he's made it very clear that he's he's done with the crusaders now like in a respectful way like he's he's achieved what he can achieve at the crusaders and he can't just keep doing the same thing year in year out and he's a new challenge and the next challenge is test rugby so he he pretty much he made it out like there's contract offers on the table and new zealand need to come to him like now he wants to coach the all blacks he doesn't want to go no. co- uh, coach England <laughs> just yet. <laughs> it's the wildest thing. I mean, this guy, 
Jared, he's even out of do- he's even out of break dancing moves now. He doesn't want to break dance anymore. He's just like, oh, no, mm. the sixth rugby title in a row. Like he's done. Like he, he, it's always funny when people say at a job, like, oh, I've given everything I could do. He's literally won Super Rugby every single time. Every year as coach of Crusaders, there's there's literally like mm-hmm. they've changed competitions three times. They've gone from Super Rugby, Super Rugby Aotearoa, Super Rugby Pacific. He's won unless they come up with another Super Rugby name. That's the only thing they could be. But unless they go back to Super Twelve. But I don't, yeah, I just, I think that the All Blacks, I think, who knows what's going to happen in this next couple of weeks with them. But, but mm-hmm. Jared, before we go, we've got to ask this question. Which agenda are you driving for this next couple of weeks? Oof, um, I, th- I think I'm going to be driving the uh, Samoa is, is good agenda as one. But I think that's a very positive agenda. Um, my other agenda is that uh, Damien Willemse is here to stay at Flowerhoff. Um, but you know me, Cooks, I, I, I'm, I'm not normally the one for the big agendas. I'm more defending players than anything else. So <laughs> I, w- I want to hear, what's, what's your agenda now that um, a certain Finn Russell is <clears throat> um, not playing Test Rugby? Yeah, unfortunately, Finn and I are doing the same thing this weekend. We're both watching Test Rugby. So it's a, it's a tough yeah. place to be for me and Finn. Um, the biggest agenda for me, one, is, you know, Gregor Townsend. <laughs> He's got to go. I, I do. I think Fiji's, I think Fiji's gonna beat them. I think Fiji's gonna do it. I think they need something to shake it up. I think Fiji is gonna be is gonna is is gonna beat them. I think one of those sides do grab a a, a scalp this the season, and I, and and I just think I think there's gonna be two upsets, big upsets. I think I think Wales could pop the All Blacks, and I think that Fiji could beat Scotland. I think. I could be wrong and they both get drilled by 60 points and I look like an idiot, but <laughs> but if those are two agendas I will drive, it's that one. And I think the positive agenda, I think with, I think, I mean, obviously with the, with the Springboks is that Michael Marks is going to put together in the next four weeks, a player of the year chart. He's been very good. Mm. The first, I mean, the, I mean, rugby championship, July series, rugby championship, but I think now he's going to, I think he's going to put together two or three man of match performances and, and put himself deep in that player of the year contention. I think, um, I think that's what's going to happen. I think, and I'm going to definitely try that. I think the rugby is in playing, especially with him now playing 50 to 60 minutes. I will not be surprised to see. And also I think Dion Furry is also, I think he's going to be, a, he's, he's in for a massive game on Saturday. I think a lot of people still are wondering why he's in that squad and what, what, what's he going to offer and things like that. I've seen all of those tweets. I think he's going to be a massive, a massive, massive cog. And, um, yeah, and I think with, with England, you can't say because Eddie Jones' job is always on the line. So he's like, mm. his job's on the line mm. every day. I think that, and yeah, I think those are the big ones. I think obviously Craig O'Townsend, I think he'll be in deep, deep trouble. If they, if, if I think they lose to, to Fiji and then he might not even see the Six Nations next year, they'll just rejig things up. That's my agenda. Yeah, that's my, I'm putting my foot on the Craig O'Townsend is not coaching Scotland in 2023. How was that, Jared? He is okay, not going to so, be there. So I, Cooks, I'll give, I'll give you a little punchline for it so you can go uh, tinkering Toonie um, to leave or something like that. Tinkering Toonie. Because like <laughs> I said to you, like, uh, he's forever tinker, tinkering with his team. Like yeah. you, whenever the Scotland team comes out and I open it up and I read what's happening, I see Gregor Chanson has made at least four <laughs> changes to his starting lineup. And like this weekend, I understand that it's a given that he's going to change it, okay, because he's got Stuart Hogg back, he's got Chris Harris back, um, he's got Adam Hastings back in the team. He's got all these players that weren't available to him in the first game. 
okay? But he, then he still goes and makes changes that, like, weren't necessary. And, like, this week, it's mad. He starts in the older Grey brother over the, the younger one. So Richie Gray starts in Johnny Gray's on the bench. Now, I'm not being funny. There is a, quite a difference between the two Grays in quality. Like, Johnny Gray is quite a bit better than Richie Gray. But anyway, I just, yeah, that's my little tangent on Townsend. Yeah, but like also Richie Gray's covered in nowhere. Yeah? But also like Richie, Richie Gray's covered in nowhere. Like I know he's been playing well. I'm like, Richie Gray, like, I can't remember where last he has played. Oh man, I think, yeah, you're right. Gregor likes to, likes to, um, likes to tinker, but it's going to be interesting. Like, I think, um, Black King Horn, I thought he did very well last week. I thought, and, and, and Gregor Townsend has been the person that, that's wanted him to shift to 10. So I thought you'd sort of give him this tour and be like, listen, we're going to play you again another week at 10 and sort of build your confidence and not hook him a week later. I know no, obviously you've got to give Hayes to the chance. Tinkering Townsend, he's going to hook him. <laughs> 100%. Um, it's going to be an incredible weekend of rugby. Um, as I like to say, it's going to be a tough, tough weekend to be a beer. Um, wherever you guys are, I yeah. hope you guys enjoy all, all the rugby. It's going, to be, it's, it's going to be exciting. So get comfortable. Because yeah, it's gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough to leave the leave the couch and make sure. All I'm saying is, the next morning, make sure you take your missus out on a great breakfast date because England and Argentina are playing in the afternoon. So you better make sure you do something to to get yourself back in the good books. But Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure, and um, look forward to some some good rugby. Hopefully, I saw you guys were fighting with which channel you watch the game on. Then England is. Are you are you sure you're gonna be able to have access to all the games? Uh, uh, luckily, I have Amazon Prime, and so I'm going to be able to watch all the games. And uh, yeah, thank you, Cooks. It's been a it's been a good catch catch up. And uh, yeah, I look forward to all the rugby and all the podcasts coming coming this this month. We've got a, a lot planned. So yeah, make sure you hit that like and subscribe, and give us a rating, comments. Even if you're telling us that uh, Cooks is definitely wrong about Finn Russell and you shouldn't play for Scotland again. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Cheers, guys.